0: Southwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. Chance of rain on Wednesday is 70% and Wednesday night partly cloudy, lows in the lower 50s. Thursday partly sunny, highs in the lower 70s. Coming up next, trailer talk with Sabrina Artel. This is WJFF Jeffersonville and W233AH Monticello.
1: Geary. Join me for now and then here on WJFF Saturday at 3 p.m. We explore the music of legendary singer songwriters that Saturday, 3 p.m. Looking
2: out on the buzzing city.
3: Welcome to Sabrina Artel's Trailer Talk. I'll bring you all kinds of stories from all kinds of people. Whether it's a live public conversation and we're speaking from the kitchen table of my 1965 Beeline Travel Trailer, from the studios or on the streets, please sit back and enjoy the conversation right here this time every week. Welcome to this anniversary and birthday celebration of the Trailer Talk project with a Beeline camper and the portable kitchen table. The following road session is the very first Trailer Talk event from the summer of 2003 in Delaware County, New York. The Talking Trailer has been very busy since that time, thanks to all of you. Welcome to this Junkyard Cabaret episode of Trailer Talk where I travel to the Roxbury Arts Center in Delaware County, New York. It was a beautiful hour drive from my home in Liberty, New York, a gorgeous summer day through the Catskill State Park, the Passipapacton Reservoir, Farmlands, and the Round Barn. We're in the courtyard of the Roxbury Arts Group in Roxbury, New York. Tonight's show is Junkyard Cabaret, a performance event by artists Lois Weaver and Peggy Shaw. It's hosted by Lois's character, Tammy Why Not.
2: There's
4: a
3: Hello, Tammy. How's
5: out there? Well,
3: how are you? I'm nervous, because the show's going to start any minute. Well, I know. I'm just wondering, then, if you could tell us where you came from to come here tonight and
5: what this event is going to be about. Well, I've been traveling all over, you know, because I like to travel. I don't like to stand still. And, um, well... I decided a long time ago, and I'm going to tell this story inside, that I didn't want to be a famous country western singer. I wanted to be a famous lesbian performance artist. So I've been working really hard trying to build up my reputation. And so when the Rock Spray Arts Group said, y'all come on over here and do a show, I said, well, let me just do Tammy in the House. And then set up my house like I would, you know, in my own house, in my own backyard, and um, invite everybody into it. So that's what I did.
3: (laughs) Oh, well, it looks amazing in there. I see you've got a collection of so many different things Ziploc bags with eye masks and I- bobby pins and you have your bag oh, yeah. collection oh, yeah. which is incredible i got
5: bags from new zealand i got bags from hong kong i got bags from mexico i got bags from roanoke virginia i got bags from minneapolis the mall of america everywhere oh, I my everywhere God. so what is it about junk
3: that you are drawn to
5: well i sort of can't get away from it you know i live in junk i love junk i collect junk and I, even though i'm a traveler i just you know have to have stuff with me no matter where I go that's why I collect bags and I just don't like that the fact that the world is getting so sort of organized and picky you know what I mean picky 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 I don't like that I like a little bit of mess because I think there's a lot of creativity in mess And when you start cleaning stuff up too much, you don't get to create. And, um, you know, I like a place that's got a, you know, a couch in the front yard sometimes. And a place where you can hang out your laundry, and I think that's really important. Well, Tammy, thank you so much for
3: speaking with us. I know you have to get inside to do the show, but maybe we'll talk again later. I hope so. Bye. The show has come out of their exploration of the used and discarded, the collected and displayed, our consumer culture, which keeps producing things and creates a hierarchy of value. What is junk? And how does it intersect with class, female identity, and queerness? What does it signify? It is my pleasure to welcome Peggy Shaw, who is with me right now in the trailer. Hi, Peggy. Hi, how are you? I'm wondering if you could share with us why this junkyard
1: cabaret. First of all, I'm going to try not to use the word old or vintage, especially when it comes to describing myself, since I'm older than this. 1965 trailer, in fact, I graduated from high school in 1961, so there you go. I think junk is an aesthetic that, when that's all one has, that's what you use, and you create from it, and you fill the space with new things that you make
3: is actually taking used things and kind of recycling them in a kind of way to give them this kind of newness
1: sorry we're a little distracted because there's people walk it's great there's people walking around the trailer looking in the windows (laughs) women and children and people waving at us so once in a while we lose our concentration it's because there's lots of viewers looking in the window of the trailer
3: So what about this idea of women and
1: things that have been discarded? I think it has to do with details. I mean, I think part of femininity and not, I mean, I am often described as masculine. However, I believe that I'm feminine in that um, I think femininity has to do with details sometimes and an awareness of a lot of things going on at the same time and using what you have at your hands and making beauty from it. And that's an aesthetic that Lois and I in Split Bridges Theatre Company have used since uh, before we met. Even before each of us met, Lois was with Spider Woman Theatre and I was with Hot Peaches. Because of class and because of funding, uh, we often found ourselves getting our, our costumes from the garbage and from second-hand stores. We still do. And then we create from them, from what our people have already created.
3: So it really kind of brings us to this idea of class and taking things that have already had a life and already been used and, and recycling them and, and somehow creating something else from them.
1: A lot of people describe art and aesthetics and life as a progression. And I think of life as, hopefully, something that just goes on every day, including, I never think that I want to better. I don't, I mean, I have always liked trailers. I have never wanted to remove them from my neighborhood. I have always found that they... Describe my life a lot, which is mobile, which has to do with not having to settle in one place. Maybe you could move to another place. Accepting people for who they are. Making the neighborhood be diversified so that there are people, all kinds of people living there. And I know a lot of gentrification and a lot of class issues rise, even with laundry, trailers, garbage, junk.
3: Inside this art center there are sheets hanging, there are used things, there are ziplocks, bags filled with what some people might call trash or junk but it's actually been saved and there's a relationship with it. On your stage you'll be performing To My Chagrin. This evening you have strung up along the back of the stage old ties and your piece also talks a lot about memory and cars and this history
1: that you've had traveling in these automobiles well a lot of time politics and class are an interesting concept for me and a consciousness because cars all you know all of us cars are like evil and you know there's a a lot of very politically correct things you're supposed to say about cars or suvs or gasoline but i have a very deep love of cars from being working class from shining them from um actually saving up for them for years and years from getting them from my uncle I love old cars I like the smell of them and I think of them as art old cars new cars I have a problem with because I find that they just get thrown away they're not recycled you can't open the engine and look in and fix it anymore
3: and your piece also really bringing up this question of femaleness or masculineness and and these ideas of yourself being, like you were saying, some people might call you
1: masculine, but... And I'm all, yes, and I'm white and I'm butch and he's Jamaican and dark and my grandson and I... I am responsible a lot for his well-being, and he spends a lot of time with me. And I constantly have to do with my own racism and my own passing on the information that I've learned about being masculine or about being in the world to a dual-heritage, mixed-raced grandson. So the show is basically me dealing with my own racism, classism, homophobia, misogyny, those things that we all are, including myself.
3: Thank you, Peggy. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Hi, Terry. Welcome to the trailer. Thank you. I am now speaking with Terry Dame, who is the founding member and creator of the Electric Junkyard Gamelon. The instruments are all recycled. They're made from objects. Could you start with telling us why?
4: (laughs) Well, how did I get started? I, I guess I got started, I collaborated with a choreographer in graduate school for my thesis project on this piece called Women's Work. And we decided that, to do this piece about traditional roles, you know, traditional domains of women's employment, so domestic kind of things, and and the idea was I was going to write music for those... So we had a section that was all done with kitchen stuff. A section that was all done with office supplies. It was whole like typewriter, office
3: machine, composition. And you were creating the sound from from these yeah, objects. Yeah, so we
4: were using pots and pans, and you know typewriters, and adding machines, and rubber bands, and paper clips, and all that. And that's where I sort of got going. And then simultaneously, I had also been studying Balinese Gamelon, which is a whole other story. But it's this pitched pitched percussion based music and somehow I married those when I came back to New York. um, I was really taken by that music and started inventing instruments of my own.
3: Could you describe some of the instruments that you'll be playing tonight?
4: Sure. Um, Well, we're going to start out with a piece called Drum and Barp. (laughs) And the barp is short for an instrument called the rhubarb, which is a rubber band harp. It's basically made from coat hangers and rubber bands, and it has a pickup on it so that it's an electric instrument, and it's played with skewers. It's sort of like a zither kind of instrument. Other things we have are we have a whole three-octave tuned clay pot instrument that's called we call it the clay rimba sort of laid out like Mm. a marimba played with mallets and that's
3: you must have fun coming up with the names for these instruments
4: well actually one of the funny things is you know I have to I buy these clay pots at the home depot so I'm like a fixture in in the midnight hour I'm in there at the home depot (laughs) clinking on pots with my tuner but people are always asking me do you work here like why I would be clinking on pots in the middle of the night with a tuner if I worked there is another question but And then there's a variety of, like, percussive, you know, things, gongs, simulated gongs made from tubs and pipes and pot lids. And
3: And are you choosing these objects because of the sound that they make?
4: Often because of the sound they make. I'm a regular also at Pete's Auction Barn in in Jeffersonville, and I love to, like, go through there and find some great object that makes a... Actually, one of the instruments we're going to play also on the opening piece is this drum that's... I put a skin over, but I don't even to this day know what it really is. It's either some kind of a filter or a sifter or a lampshade or, I don't know, it's just this metal column that made a really fantastic sounding drum. But often I find the object and then I get the idea to make something out of it.
3: Do they often sit around for a while?
4: Would you say you collect them? Yeah, I got a studio full of junk lids and springs and junk I find on the street that I think, oh, someday that'll make a great instrument. And So yes, unfortunately, it's true. So what sort of research
3: did you do before and during the creation of this band in terms of homemade instruments?
4: Yeah, the gamelan is more, it inspires the... The compositions, the objects themselves, mostly it was from the depths of my brain. You know, I, I mean, there are a, quite a tradition of instrument makers in the States, but a lot of them are really into like the science of, you know, the microtones and tunings and in, the intervals between the tunings, and because that's really actually closely associated with gamelan. The pitch is really different in Balinese gamelan, they tune two partner instruments very close to each other but slightly off so that when they're played simultaneously, it creates all these overtones. So I play with that a little, but I'm not so interested in like measuring the microtone. I'm more of like, find something that sounds good and then use that as a basis to write a piece with and the, the science. are looking in the windows of the trailer. So that's why we're we snickering.
1: You.
4: <laughs> Do you remember a
3: time prior to now searching out these instruments that you
4: started to collect something. I wasn't so much a collector but I was always a tinkerer. So constantly getting into trouble for taking apart my father's camera equipment and trying to put it back together and I always liked to I always liked objects and I liked to figure out how they work and you know. So I haven't always been such a big collector of of junk until this Addiction started. Until this addiction? I think one of the first ones I built was this instrument called a sitello, and it came out of, I have deep cello envy. I've always wanted to be a cellist. <laughs> and
3: so what so I was just the root of this instrument? A two-by-four. <laughs> a
4: two by four, a two by four, with some nuts and bolts for tuning pegs, and I used electric bass strings. And uh, we sort of like, okay, if I, I want to play the cello, so I'm gonna make an instrument. I can't play the cello, so I'm gonna make an instrument that I can play. That's kind of like the cello.
3: And does it have a a tone or a resonance like the cello?
4: Well, it, this particular one didn't. It ended up not being a bowed. It ended up we ended up playing it with rubber mallets, more like a, again, like kind of like a. Zither kind of thing, so it, in the end it didn't didn't actually turn out to be what I had planned, which is often the case. You make something with one intention and then you find out it makes an altogether other neat sound so. A- and
3: how do you begin creating the music once you've actually made this instrument? What happens
4: next? Some of these instruments the pitches are totally random, I mean some of them are tunable, but some of them they lay out their own scale like they'll play in a certain mode and so then I'll begin composing based on that or just how things ring or how percussive they are you know just the qualities that the that the objects make themselves is such great fodder for for, for writing that mm-hmm. it's you know it's a really great sounding board because sometimes when I'm trying to write conventional music where do you start you have to have a seed so it's kind of cool that there's there's an organic thing that's creating the seed, right, you know. Right.
3: Well, Terry, thank you so much. Thanks.
0: So, I like, come on in.
3: Yeah, come on in. And, yes. Okay. Oh, that was fun. That was great. Zach and I'm speaking with Sally Willoughby. You have a piece in there called Trashy Women. I'm wondering if you could tell me about the women who have made these pieces and talk a little bit about trash and women.
0: Uh, my favorite subjects. It's called uh, Trashy Women, and it the subtitle is from plastic bags to heavy metal women who make art from recycled materials and it actually has a one woman who makes rugs from plastic bags and one woman who makes furniture from heavy metal
3: well i'm wondering if you could talk to us a bit about the history of recycling goods and how this fits into women in our culture
0: i think recycling with has been a part of women's culture for a long time we've been the savers and the culture makers
3: well it's this idea of somehow telling stories through these items right, right? and it's kind of a continuation yes. of this lineage yes, really and I think each woman
0: in this slideshow picks a different material to do that and I think um... I feel like about junk besides the excitement of finding it and discovering it and there's also stories that it brings from the past into their work in in the present. I find that really inspiring. I started doing this slideshow because I was really interested in women who were not artists, They were, well not trained artists, they were self-taught artists. And then other friends of mine said well what about so-and-so and what about so-and-so and I said well they're trained artists and I wasn't so interested in that. And then I started thinking that what they had in common was the recycled materials. And I, fa- I find that really exciting. I feel like there's a sort of rebirth with um, recycled materials, that history and history is brought along with the old materials into the new.
3: And so in the photographs that you're projecting on the sheet in this performance space, where did you find these photos?
0: Um, all over the world. There's a woman from Australia in the slideshow who many years ago when it wasn't so easy for women to learn male skills learned to do concrete work and she used old shells and brought a kind of English culture to to make herself feel at home because the shell garden uh, tradition comes right from England. I guess that's probably the furthest away most of the other ones are in this country.
3: Thank you so much for speaking (laughs) with us. You're welcome. Eleanor, do you want to come in and talk a bit about your film? Come on in. Yeah, just shut that door. I loved it. So going south. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came up with this idea? I have had your biscuits. They are incredible. Uh, it was funny. I mean, it's all about kind of southern stereotypes.
2: Right. Well, I, I moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota from Georgia, and I encountered incredible prejudice towards the south and uh, on a daily basis. So I felt like I needed to... Take that on a little bit. And uh, it's surprising because living in the South, you don't realize how the rest of the country perceives. Most of it's through what people get off of television. So this little piece was kind of a combination of different parts of my identity as a Southerner, as a, a Butch Dyke, as um, uh, someone who likes to cook. It's kind of mashed it all together.
3: Well, that's what was so. Funny about the film, of course, is that when we finally see you, we see a, a butch lesbian who's, you know, making these biscuits. So once again, you're kind of dealing with stereotypes. What was the process of, of making this piece like?
2: Well, it was uh, some of it started from images. The laundry line was, you know, de- definitely started as a, a visual image. Some of it started as just things that people say to me. I kept a, a log. So, a lot of the uh, opening hmm. stuff is stuff that people said to me so oh, so it is, and yeah. so
3: then did you script that and have people say i did I scripted it and shot it. could you give us some a couple of examples even of some of these things that people assume about
2: the south I mean, the big ones are you know, that it 's you know more racist than anywhere in the else in the country, which having moved to Minneapolis, which is the fourth most segregated city in the in the United States. Oh, it is. Um, is an odd perception from people who live there. Not to say that there isn't racism. I think there is everywhere in this country, and it's institutionalized. But just the preoccupation with that is very intense. Also, just the idea that everyone is either, you know, lives in a mansion with columns <laughs> or, or a trailer, is trailer trash. One
3: uh, or the other. Yeah. I'm originally from Texas, then moved to the West Coast. So it was very, very funny to watch your film because it's very true. People have huge assumptions. Mm -hmm. But also the twist was so great in this piece because you are also dealing with queerness. You're dealing with butch femme. What are some thoughts on this? I don't even want to put any words into your mouth, (laughs) you know, about
2: what you were exploring. Uh, Just that you can't, You know, we tend to try to make everything uh, into these little separate categories, like a southerner and, or, you know, that you're queer. My identity is like all of these things, and so I wanted to try to bring everything into the texture of this little short film. So that's what I was playing with. I mean, part of the fantasy thing is just wanting to see my sexuality reflected in film which is, you know, not something I get to see every day or any day, really. <laughs> so I really loved thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. If you see
3: Helen out there, could you send her in? I will in? send Helen Okay, in. thank you. Thank you, Eleanor. Thank you. I was just speaking with Eleanor Savage about her film Going South. Is Helen Paris out there? Can she come into the trailer? Hi, come on in. <laughs> Close the door. I am speaking with Helen Paris. Hi. Hi there. So Helen just performed once, twice, three times a lady shape. Very funny. How did you create it? And tell us a little bit
6: about it. Well, in the piece, what I do is I come on the stage and... I put shaving foam on my legs but rather than getting out a small discreet um, <laughs> razor I pick up a large pair of uh, garden shears just as if I've picked them out of the trash sort of to fit in with this evening's theme. And what's also so funny is that
3: your movements are so choreographed and very delicate.
6: That's right I'm sort of playing with like a sort of a 1950s bathing beauty sort of routine that sort of played out to the m- music of once twice three times a lady. So very sort of romantic music and through the piece, I shave my legs with a large pair of garden shears. Um, that's what they're called in Britain. It translates, isn't it, garden shears? Yes, yeah, so
3: we call them the same thing okay. here.
6: So the large pair they're of- They're huge, are... they look dangerous. <laughs> and are They were recently purchased, only two days old, so they have a good, um, good blade. It's definitely a close shave that I get. So what are you exploring with this piece? What I was looking at was just sort of, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but with the absurdity, I think, of um, feminine stereotyping, how we're told we have to be, you know, in order to be beautiful and so the idea of shaving our legs, shaving our armpits, you know this sort of idea, so I I wanted to play with that little bit of sort of comedy the the piece is quite comedic, but there is an underlying seriousness there's that issue of how women need to just allow themselves to have their own beauty you know, and not feel they have to fit into stereotypes and get rid of the way their body really is and really looks, and really feels and really smells so that was sort of the essence I was looking at The essence
3: of it is, is what women do that's in order to kind of conform to these beauty standards exactly yeah that's right so i understand that you are currently touring in the states uh and it's an
6: exploration of smell and it's called on the scent that's right it's a piece that i'm really interested in how we're so connected to our sense of smell i don't think we value it or think about it as much as maybe sight or hearing but so many of our memories and our emotions are connected to smell so within the piece exploring the connections between smell and memory and how different smells can suddenly trigger memories and transport you back through time, through space, to when you were standing in your grandmother's kitchen, you know, when you were five years old. And we're exploring that. um, And the piece takes place not in a theatre setting or a gallery setting but actually in people's houses because you know your own house has a very particular smell that you're not really aware of but you might go away on holiday and you come back and you're aware of the smell of your house so we're interested in that and how how smell is very much associated to home and to place and to identity.
3: And are you doing this in Europe as well as the United States? Yes it
6: had its premiere in in London and now it's coming to New York and after that we are going to Toronto in Canada and we're taking it to Porto Alegre in Brazil and then after that next year we're going to China and to Australia so it'll be really interesting because part of the performance also has an, an interview with the audience members and ask them about their sense of smell so I'm interested in how as we travel around the world asking these questions about smell the similarities that someone in Brazil might have that maybe someone in New York has you know maybe it says the same thing or same memory is triggered so I'm interested in the similarities and the differences that are going to come up.
3: What room in the house do you do the performance in? I'm in the bedroom in the bedroom. So it's is it usually a very small
6: audience then? It's very small. It's two at a time. So it's not really a big box office draw this show. Mm. But um, I like two at a time because it's very much like guests coming into a house and it's also there's a very much an intimacy about it and I think it's quite full on for an audience but also, the audience feedback is very strong, and they feel they've had a very personal sort of emotive experience, which is what we're talking about with smell anyway.
3: Well, thank you so much for thank sharing you. that. With thank you. Thank you for letting me into you're, your trailer. You're you're welcome. I'm wondering if you can find Leslie should the If yes, okay. see if, if you can find her that way. Or I see here one of the musicians from the electric. If you'd like to come in, yeah, come on in. How Hi. you doing? Hi, I'm great. If you can sit, in I fr- can sit here. I can sit here. Of the mic. Please introduce yourself. All
7: right. My name is Jules A. I'm the uh, token male of the group for Junkyard Gamelon.
3: In addition to playing, you also were singing and you were doing a kind of a rap.
7: Yeah, I do some MC. I, I, I do a lot of things. I play the accordion. I do some hip-hop. And I uh, got into... Ever since I moved to New York City three years ago, I was always writing rhymes sitting on the train.
3: Do you have any kind of stories about collecting things or junk or stories those sorts of things? things? Anything Well,
7: that- actually, yes. I... My apartment is full of many things. Fly- I like to pick up flyers wherever I go, either off the ground or off of the various stores I might go into. If someone's advertising something, I'll put those and post them on my wall and make sort of a little montage of flyers from over the years. And um, I also take packaging. I like to save packaging from various things that I buy and put those on the wall and make sculptures out of them.
3: What determines what flyer or what part of a package that you're actually going to save to use to make something It out just of? has
7: to catch my eye or have, like, I'm really into numbers, so if, like, there's a date that really catches my attention. My mother has noticed that I like the number six, so there's a lot of sixes, sometimes seven, three.
3: With the wrapping, mm-hmm. when did you start doing it and...? In-
7: when I went to college, I started studying philosophy, and so I wanted to f- figure out a way of making speech and words musical uh, rhythmical and so I started studying hip-hop I mean it always I was into it as a kid growing up you know I was a kid of the 80s and 90s so hip-hop was there you know as I started mixing spoken word with my own music which was pretty out there to to begin with I started mixing in hip-hop a little bit and then when I moved to New York and was on the trains all the time all I would do is just start writing rhymes and that slowly evolved into what I do now thank you Mm -hmm. thank you very much you're welcome
3: this is Trailer Talk with Sabrina Artell. I was speaking with the creators and artists of the Junkyard Cabaret on Saturday, July 26th from the Roxbury Art Center in Roxbury, New York. From the kitchen table, out on the road, I'm Sabrina Artell. You've been listening to the anniversary edition of the very first Trailer Talk in Delaware County, New York. Happy birthday, little beeline, and Trailer Talk. To find out more about the Roxbury Arts Group, please go to www.roxburyartsgroup.org. For Peggy Shaw and Lois Weaver, please go to splitbritches.com. For Terry Dame, terrydame.com. Helen Paris placelessness.com and Jules A. com. A very special thanks to Peggy and Lois for making this possible and for Judy Rosen who came to my house with her pickup truck showed me how to hook the trailer up and drove the trailer for that very first Trailer Talk in Delaware County, New York. If you'd like to reach me, please contact me at TrailerTalk at gmail.com the music for the show, Patti Smith, People Have the Power, Tammy Wynette, In My Room. Special thanks to WJFF, Radio Catskill, and the numerous people who have donated their time, resources, and conversations to make Trailer Talk possible. For more information, please visit TrailerTalk.net. I'm Sabrina Artell. Safe travels.